0: a lot of us at some point in our PCOS journeys have been looking for a magic pill. In my journey, I thought that would be metformin and the birth control pill, but instead I ended up feeling worse on those pharmaceuticals. And it wasn't until I realized that the lifestyle choices I made by thinking, eating, and moving like a PCOS diva was really the magic pill for me. But lately, I've been hearing a lot about a new quote-unquote magic pill that women with PCOS are talking about. And that is semaglutide marketed under the names Ozampic and Wegovi. They are not only being used by those with type 2 diabetes and women with PCOS, but it's apparently the hot new weight loss drug in Hollywood. I believe that knowledge is power when coming to manage to manage your PCOS and it's so important for us to understand what we're putting in our bodies. So if you're considering a new drug to manage your PCOS, it's really important that you have informed consent. So I reached out to one of my favorite PCOS docs to talk to us today about the pros and cons of semaglutide. So welcome to Dr. Felice Gersh and thank you for coming on the PCOS podcast today.
1: Oh, it is my pleasure. And we all want that magic, just, you know, fix it pill, but, um, Every single treatment, every pharmaceutical has side effects. So I'm totally in the same camp with you about informed consent. So you know the pros and cons and and you don't just fall into the hype. So I'm so happy to have this opportunity to chat about this new, in quotation marks, wonder
0: drug. Uh, well, well, I really appreciate your time. You're a busy lady. You're a multi-award winning physician with a dual board certification in OBGYN and integrative medicine. Dr. Felice Gersh is the founder and director of Integrative Medical Group of Irvine. And she is also a best-selling author of two of my favorite books on my uh, bookshelf, PCOS SOS and PCOS SOS Fertility Fast Track. And she's also a regular contributor to PCOS Diva, uh, we've done several podcasts together and articles, which we can. Um, I will make sure that I post in the show notes so you can check out uh, our other interviews. So, welcome, Dr. Gersh, and let's let's jump right in. You know what is semaglutide? So it's
1: a GLP one agonist, is what it's called. So, what the, what are all those letters even meaning? So. GLP-1 stands for a glucagon-like peptide one. An agonist is the word for a mimic, okay? Um, that it can actually activate the functions that the real thing, the real one would do. But it's not the real one. It's a chemical mimic. So that's important to know too. And it's a mimic for a little, I call it like hormone slash peptide. So there's always like when it, we're talking about chains of amino acids and there's sort of a an informal like divide between how many amino acids make a peptide how many make a hormone but think of it as a signaling agent and these are made by specialized lining cells in the gut they're of of the interesting thing that we found out now when i was back in medical school i had no idea that the gut was a hormone producer, we didn't know that. But now we know there are these special enterocytes, lining cells that actually can make hormones. And one of them is this specific, we'll call it, you know, peptide hormone, GLP-1. GLP-1 also can be made in the brain, like almost everything in the body. It's not made in just one site. So what, what we need to understand is that the human female body was evolved when things are right to have a very close match between energy consumption, also known as eating and energy utilization. Now, if you exceed your intake of food, then you will have excessive intake and land up in the camp of obesity. If you have insufficient energy intake that you don't eat enough food, then you will end up in an, un, an underweight situation. Both of those can affect fertility. As I'm sure you know, people who have malabsorption issues or they have anorexia and they just don't eat, they will have often no periods at all. Women who are obese, whether it's from PCOS or anything else, that um, is causing it, whether medically or socially created obesity, they will often have infertility as well. Both groups, if they do become pregnant through artificial means, you know, we call it um, advanced assisted reproductive technology, which sort of tricks the body into getting pregnant when it's really not healthy. Let's be honest about it. Then those are the women that will often have serious complications during their pregnancies and their children are not gonna come from an optimal environment in utero and may have lifetime metabolic problems. Metabolism is creation, utilization, storage, distribution of energy within the body, like the spark of life. So all of the systems in the female body are basically evolved for reproductive success. Now, we are the only species, we humans, that try to control our reproductive destiny. I'm all for people having babies when and if they want them at the right time and so on. But recognizing we're the only animal species on the planet that actually tries to control such things. You know, during um, so-called mating season in the wild, you never see an antelope say to another, mm, let's pass this year, not have baby. <laughs> this doesn't happen. Only among humans. So once you recognize, which I did early in my career as an obstetrician, that the prime directive of life is the creation of new life. And so every system in the body is evolved for that. And it's such a huge part of being healthy and fertile to have proper energy situations, like you have proper energy storage in your body, like you have the right amount of fat and you have the production of energy, like you have mitochondria that can work, you know, and you have release of stored energy in the body in the form that's glycogen that's stored like in the liver and the muscles and so on, and fat stores, okay, to release them when you need it. For example, if you're not eating, you know, that's what we call fasting, right? So that you can use your stored energy within the body. These are really complex systems. And glucagon like peptide one is part of this whole system. And women with PCOS have dysregulated energy systems. They do not have properly controlled appetite. They do not burn fat well. They're very good at making fat as a general rule. It's a different skill set to make fat and to burn fat. And so we have this sort of disconnect where they have, you know, a poor control of energy utilization, energy creation, energy, um, like intake, you know, when they should eat, when they should not eat. And GLP-1 is part of this system in terms of regulating energy. So it helps to regulate your appetite and it helps to create energy by utilizing stored um, glycogen through the other little peptide, you know, glucagon. So we have a system where when everything is right, we have just the right intake and the right output of energy. So one of some of the things that GLP-1 does is it helps stimulate the release of insulin at the right time Mm -hmm. so that you get proper control of your glucose levels in your blood and works through the pancreas, Mm -hmm. the pancreatic cells, the beta cells. And, It also slows stomach emptying so that you feel fuller, so that it also helps to control appetite, because we know that when you stretch the stomach, you know, it can affect your sensations in the brain. You know, there's so many multidirectional systems in the body. Everything is multidirectional, not just bidirectional. And it also helps to reduce inappropriate release of glucagon to create too much sugar in the body by breaking down the glycogen stores. So, and then by doing that, it will help to reduce your appetite and food intake so that, you know, all the systems in the body, the yin yang, I don't know how the Chinese were so smart. You know, we we have many redundant systems too, like more than one thing, like we have ghrelin, That's a little hormone, a different hormone that's made in the gut from lining cells that promotes appetite. And then we have hormones that come from the adipose tissue, the fat tissue, like leptin, that are designed to reduce appetite. So we have so many systems in the body to help regulate energy utilization, intake, storage, and so on. And GLP-1 is a key player. And women with PCOS... FYI, I bet you're not going to be surprised at what I'm going to say. They don't make enough of it, okay? So, like, there's the hormones that promote appetite, and then there's the hormones that decrease appetite, and then there are all these little peptides that are running around in your brain, in the nutrient sensors that are located in the hypothalamus that help to to also control appetite. I mean, it's just amazing system. All of these are kind of like offline. In people who generally are obese and women with PCOS. So all of that is to lead into they created, they meaning, you know, the people out there in the pharmaceutical world, and a drug that is a mimic for GLP one, which mm-hmm. regulates all these things, you know, appetite, glucose um, production, and stomach emptying and all these things.
0: So when you say a mimic. Um, I I think, I think of like Provera, which is a drug that kind of mimics progesterone that a lot of women are on, but it isn't the actual kind of natural form of progesterone. Would that be like a, does that? That's a decent analogy. Okay.
1: Okay. Um, right. So you could say the same for in a birth control pill, the common estrogen is ethanol estradiol that's where 99% of birth control pills have as their estrogen they have ethanol estradiol so that's like a mimic for est, you know the estradiol that's made by the ovary but it's not the same mm-hmm. it's not I mean that's such a key point it's a mimic it's like you might say it's a similar it's a knockoff <laughs> okay let's you know call a spade a spade it isn't the real thing it isn't and that's why there are side effects that don't exist with the real thing. And that's important
0: to know too. And is it because your body somewhat recognize it, recognizes the, the chemical, but it isn't an exact match. So partly you don't really know what to do with it. Is that like a, would you say that's a simple explanation or? You know what? I think that, to say that
1: it's like you're putting um a peg in a hole and it almost fits right. Okay. But it doesn't quite. So you mm-hmm. like squish it a little bit, you press mm-hmm. on it and you twist it in, you know? So mm-hmm. you get it in, but it's not it's not perfect. It's just not perfect. Mm-hmm. So I have like a little list here, you know, of some of the the side effects. So like the real thing it doesn't come with a list of side effects, you know, like your natural hormones, they are what they are. But when you create mimics, like birth control pills are not real human hormones. So most women have been on them who have PCOS. So they know that there are a whole host of of side effects from birth control pills. So here's like some of the known, a lot of them are Not life and death kinds, but they will cause people to stop, which I want to reference in um, a study that was published in the Journal of the American Medical Association, JAMA, that was just recently, it was September 2022, okay, Mm -hmm. that was one of the main studies on um, semaglutide, okay, which is probably the leader of the pack of the um, GLP-1 agonist. So nausea and vomiting, it's not rare it's actually fairly common with this Mm -hmm. drug. Um, Diarrhea is another common side effect. Stomach pain, fatigue, hypoglycemia, which is low blood sugar. Then the more serious ones, I mean, those are misery, but they're not going to kill you. But -hmm. the more serious ones can be pancreatitis and gallbladder disease and kidney damage. And these are not, you know, the whole list. So in the study that I'll, I can go over the actual data that they published, and of course, like big, big surprise, it wasn't on women with PCOS, mm-hmm. okay? So we don't really have specific data for women with PCOS, but I can tell you right out the gate that when they looked at people with confirmed type 2 diabetes, the results were much inferior, much less successful with um, actual true type To diabetes. So, you know, that's sort of sad, right? Mm -hmm. We don't know. And I'll tell you right up front too, my, and I'll tell you why in another minute, why I think that this drug as a general statement, you know, there's so much variation among women with PCOS. It's such a spectrum condition, right? Um, But for many of the women, unless we do something added, I'm going to say like the secret sauce, which I'm going to tell you about, I don't think you're going to get the same results as some of these other people are getting in the studies. So the thing is that, you know, there are many people who were in the study. In fact, I looked at the data and about 40%, and now here's the here's the rub. They all needed to lose weight. They all mm-hmm. wanted to lose weight. They all agreed to be in the study, okay? And about 40% dropped out. Now they do not say, that you know every single person why they dropped out but often that is because they didn't like the regimen they weren't feeling good that's a big one they weren't feeling good you know like if you feel nausea and you're having diarrhea and you're having stomach pains you may say uh I can't do this I can't mm-hmm. keep doing this right so you know and then I'm going to also tell you if you'd like to hear how you can naturally get your own glp1 kind of go you know like rev up the machine to make that more yourself since that is a natural product so and how you know how this all links with with pcos so the bottom line is that this is a mimic it's um, a knockoff it has a fairly substantial array of side effects most people who take would take it would not you know die from it it's not like it's it has a high fatality rate or anything mm-hmm. like that but you know it it doesn't take like what if you said you know seven percent of people had or five percent had a fairly serious side effect well you know it's more more likely than not more medically probable than not that you wouldn't be that one but you might be you know mm-hmm. so every time you go into taking a drug or like having a procedure, you can't assume you won't be the one who actually has the serious side effect because somebody gets it, right? Mm-hmm. So you, you have to go in with your eyes open. That's the whole informed consent decision, which I don't think happens in much of anything really, except, right. except surgical procedures. Mm-hmm. But it really should be part of everything when you have a choice. You know, it's not like, you know, even if you... <coughs> Under every circumstance, you always have a choice Mm -hmm. unless you're unconscious. So the thing is that this has shown this this drug, no semaglutide, um, and it's known also another word for it is incretin. So incretins are drugs that modify the output of the um, glucagon, that that little other. Mm that comes also from the GI tract that helps regulate in sort of the opposite direction. So it puts out sugar. So
0: in any case,
1: oh, so go ahead. Oh,
0: I was just gonna say that, um, you know, this isn't, this drug isn't um, like metformin in the fact that it's cheap, right? It's been around for a long time and you just, you take it orally, it's in a different category
1: right so this is used the drug now so this family of drugs has been around for many years so this family of drugs um i remember um learning about like baeda you know so these there were drugs in this family we called them incretins when they first came out that doesn't you now they always say glp1 agonist but we used to call them incretins and it was a daily shot and there was actually some published data quite a few years ago on another family member of this, these drugs like um, Victoza. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, and there was a couple little studies on it for women with PCOS for, you know, weight loss predominantly to precede what, you know, IVF, right. Mm -hmm. So to try to just get some weight off of women before going into IVF um, with not fabulous success, you know, that's why you may never have heard of it. Right. And also you had to use double the dose for women with PCOS to get any weight loss benefit and of course wasn't covered by insurance cost a fortune and it was a daily shot so now they have created a weekly shot you know so instead of having to get poked every day you get poked once a week but nevertheless it is not going to be covered for weight loss and unless you can show as usual, you know, every other drug and you're diabetic, you're like a full-blown diabetic, every other drug in the category of diabetes drugs has been tried and failed in some form or fashion. Um, You're not going to get insurance to cover it. And then your doctor would have to do a um, prior authorization with all these explanations for why they should cover the cost of this, which is, you know, depending on the dose. So the, the the problem is for adequate weight loss, you have to use a much higher dose. And of course, with a higher dose comes more side effects. The mm-hmm. side effect profile goes up. And and there's really a fairly substantial difference in weight loss between the sort of entry level dose that's used for diabetics and the weight loss dose that's used for maximum weight loss is, you know, that we're talking like almost two and a half times the dose, you know, additional mm-hmm. dosing regimen. And it's just not going to be covered. So it can range from one to thousand dollars a month. And and we were talking about this before we got on together for the podcast. Um, and I wanted to reiterate what you were talking about with me is there is no exit strategy. I always say that with every drug. Okay, I like to think of pharmaceuticals. I'm an MD. I do prescribe pharmaceuticals mm-hmm. when necessary, but I like to think of them as a bridge to health. Hopefully not a permanent. Part of that new ecology of the body. But sometimes, you know, like with blood pressure, sometimes if you're late stage disease, you're not going to get people off of certain drugs. But here's a drug that can be given to very young women. Like they have now data on teens, they just came out with a new study on teenagers, adolescents. We have the exit strategy. And there is no exit strategy. the The drug company doesn't even want to talk about an exit strategy because they want you to stay on the drug forever. And of course, do we have long term data? Zero long term data. Like anything, they don't need to get long term data to get it approved. But what little data we have is when people stop it, they regain the weight. They regain the weight, and so th- what's the you know? And then. Some people may have some other side effects when they get off. And we have no good data on that, no published good data on, well, what happens when you get off of it? You know, just like birth control pills, you know, they were never put on the market to be used for 30 years straight. Mm-hmm. But yet there are, I have so many patients, that's what they did. And then when they stop it, there's their problems. So I'm not going to think there wouldn't be problems if you're modifying receptors by putting in a foreign knockoff, you know, that is not the same, similar, but not the same. It can modify how the receptors work so that when you get rid of it and then you put the real item in, it doesn't work properly. Like SSRIs, the antidepressant drugs, Mm -hmm. you know, even people who weren't depressed, when you try to get off the drugs, they have problems. The same thing with PPIs, the um acid blockers. You could take healthy people, put them on the drug, and then when you take the drug away, they're all sick from the like a drug problem because their bodies haven't adapted to not having that drug. You know, so it's a crazy thing. So I don't know of any published data on withdrawal from these um GLP one agonists, but you're mucking around with your hormones and receptors. I totally would expect that there will be some problems and probably it should be a weaned off kind of a thing not like just abruptly stop because Mm -hmm. the body has more difficult with um, difficulty with that and they have warnings now that you should some of these are very long lasting well you know relatively not like years but like maybe a few months that there'll be some effects so now they're saying I mean, this seems like the antithesis of what you'd want if you wanted to get pregnant. You should stop them about three months before you want to get pregnant. It's the exact opposite of what they were doing with like the Victoza when they were giving it to them right up to trying to start IVF. And they didn't really know, you know, and that's a shorter acting one. It's a shorter acting one. That's why you have to give the shot every day, right? But the longer acting ones like the, you know, the weekly, apparently there's some effects that last in the body for like, could be like three months. So now they're saying stop it if you want to try Mm -hmm. to get pregnant. And then what, you're going to gain all the weight back just before you want to try to get pregnant? I mean, so there are some real concerns, I would say. In terms of the actual data that was published in in JAMA, um, I have it here. And the data was pretty encouraging for the short term. So what they found was in these somewhat overweight people, none of them had PCOS. And like I said, there was about a 40% dropout rate, which really shocked me. So if you look at six months, okay, remember this is six months, not five years or anything, about close to 90%, it was just over 87% had a 5% or more weight loss. Now, if you figure someone, just make this up, if they're 200 pounds, So what are we talking about? 10 pounds, okay? It's like, hmm, I think I could do that in other ways. And that's, you know, so that's like almost 90%. Now, in terms of losing 10%, so if you had a 200-pound person, that would be 20 pounds lost. That was just under 55%. So, you know, it's almost 50-50 that about half the people lost 10% or more, but the other half didn't. So mm-hmm. if you weigh 200 pounds, that means you didn't even, after six months, you didn't even lose 20 pounds. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that, I mean, like, well, you decide in your own mind, does that sound fabulous or not? And then twenty three and a half percent achieved a 15% weight loss or more. So, so that would be 30 pounds for a 200 pound person, but now we're less than a quarter. And then just under 8% lost 20%. Okay. So that would be a big 40 pounds. That would be great. But that was out of 102 people who lasted the six months, it was a total of eight people. Like, so when you talk about percentages, that's one thing. Let's talk about absolute numbers. Sometimes that gives you, so it was eight people, you know, actually, but we don't know what happened to those eight people over the next six months after the drug was stopped, because guess what? they were getting that drug for free they were part of a study up oh, study's over good luck folks <laughs> you know now uh oh yeah. they they'll never publish that
0: they're not going to publish of course published. and and you know what what led me to reach out to you about this is i was on some different pcos boards as well as the pcos diva private community and people were talking about kind of this new magic pill that was you know getting a lot of good um, results from women in the PCOS community but when I started digging I was seeing that women were saying they couldn't afford it anymore so there you go with the exit strategy and now their hunger signals and cues were came back a lot stronger
1: yeah i am not surprised just like i see women who've been on birth control pills for many years and they went on them for reasons that had nothing to do with pcos it was Mm -hmm. like to get you know they had like maybe heavy periods but they were perfectly regular or they became sexually active when they were only 15 unfortunately you Mm -hmm. know and um, so they were put on them you know really early sometimes for no good reason like or they had like a little tiny bit of teen acne no talk about nutrition and anything right they just got put right away this happens all the time Mm -hmm. and then they're on them for like 20 straight years they and then they go off and they like have explosive pcos i -hmm. think that's birth control pill induced i think you know we do have problems getting off of these drugs so that's a that's a, a really important thing then i wanted to tell you what i think makes women with PCOS. Remember, also, I told you, these were not diabetic people. Mm-hmm. The diet, when they did studies with true diabetic, type 2 diabetics, their, stu- their outcome was significantly less favorable. They did not lose as much weight, and that was what it was, you know, wow. for that with a 40% dropout rate. Mm-hmm. So, and their drug was free. You know, so mm-hmm. there you have it. But there's something, and there are articles published on this, and I talk about this. So GLP-1 is something that's natural. So what in the body naturally encourages you to make this appetite energy regulator, okay? Well, some of it is the food we eat. And we know that eating a high fiber diet, and that means things like whole grains that are not processed into powder. You know, It, it means that you're having like nuts and seeds, you know, you're having legumes, you know, like beans and lentils. These have wonderful fiber in them. And, and it, because everything works with the microbiome in some form or fashion. Mm -hmm. So the microbial population of the gut is going to have a significant impact on properly making this wonderful little Um, peptide slash hormone, GLP-1. So you need to feed those little microbes. We talk about all the time. Please feed them, please feed them, nurture them, love them, and realize that they are your best buddies, those little critters down in there. And so they love fiber, all different kinds of fiber, polyphenols, like all the different plants, all the different colors of the rainbow, and, and that sort of thing. They also like to be fed on schedule like your dog, you know? So like give them breakfast, give them lunch, give them dinner, don't snack all day long because then they'll get like wo- wo- weird and wired. You don't want like little wired, weird microbes. <laughs> so you got to take care of them. And so that diet is very helpful. What else is really helpful? It's the missing ingredient that never gets talked about and most doctors don't know a darn thing about it and that's estradiol. So estradiol is essential. For the production of GLP one, and in fact, there are studies published showing that if you give, like, to men, who are they studying? Women with PCOS, of course not. They're studying menopausal women. They're a clear target of low estrogen production from their ovaries, like none. Okay, if you're in menopause, so they gave estradiol, the estrogen made by the ovaries, and just as a quick side note, estrogens are a family of hormones. There's no N-estrogen, okay? Just like there's not a B-vitamin. B-vitamins come in 12 varieties, right? And estrogens come in different varieties, and they use endocrine disruptors or xenoestrogens, which are the phony mimics that are found in plastics of all different kinds, soft plastic, hard plastic, flame retardants, heavy metals, you know, all kinds of other chemicals, are actually xenoestrogens so they are mimics of estrogen in a very bad way they harm our bodies and sometimes people refer to them as estrogen it's crazy they're endocrine disruptors and you know hormones um, that are made to be similars you know they they sometimes call them hormones like they're meant to be in a human so like and the glp1 agonists are also Technically, you could talk, call it an endocrine disruptor, you know, if you really go by the definition, it's a mimic, it's a pseudo of the real thing that is that can bind to receptors and activate them, but it's not the real thing. Like you said, you know, it's it's a knockoff. So we need to like always keep these things in mind. But when you have estradiol, the ovarian produced estrogen, it during the reproductive years, It has this beautiful synergy with the gut, with the gut microbial population. I'm sure you've talked about so many times the gut microbiome in women with PCOS is dysbiotic or it's abnormal. And that is heavily related to the fact that they have these hormonal imbalances, which includes for most women with PCOS. And PCOS comes in different flavors and it's like a spectrum, like we talked about. Mm -hmm. It's based on symptoms more than anything. So it's, and it's sometimes, you know, it's, we lump in adrenal androgen excess disorders and with ovarian related testosterone excess. And, and so they're not even all one, you know, so, and get all mixed up in people's minds. But if we think about that, the ovarian type version of PCOS, those women have a problem in the production of estradiol, They don't make enough estradiol. Estradiol is critical for all of the energy facets of the body. That includes energy intake and energy expenditure. So estradiol helps control your appetite, your energy distribution, like where fat goes in your body, and burning fat, the mitochondria rely on estradiol, and GLP-1, and other um, peptides in the brain, the kiss peptins that signal the ultimately through the hypothalamus the gonadotropins through the the center in the hypothalamus that puts out the little factors that talk to the pituitary to make LH and FSH and coming from the master clock that judges you know light and dark and nutrients the suprachiasmatic nucleus the master clock of the circadian rhythm which has estradiol receptors puts out other little like hormone slash peptides like vaso-intestinal peptide VIP and oxytocin is all all of these things are heavily regulated by estradiol to because the energy utilization systems in the body are heavily related to the reproductive systems which Mm -hmm. of course makes sense because a woman who is going to be pregnant needs to have energy stores the right amount of fat the right metabolism to survive and get through what is really a stress, a major stress on the female body, which is pregnancy. And many women are failing that, especially women with PCOS, with high levels of pregnancy-related complications. So understanding that estradiol, the ovarian-produced estrogen, is not produced adequately in a very high percentage of women with PCOS. And this hormone from the ovaries, estradiol, is critical for all of the energy regulatory systems in the body, everyone from the creation, the storage, utilization, distribution of energy. Estradiol is the master of all of that. And that includes under its auspices, under its umbrella, GLP-1, without adequate estradiol, and this is what's underlying a lot of the metabolic dysfunctions of women with PCOS, they do not have adequate production of GLP-1. They have dysregulated leptin. They have dysregulated oxytocin. They have dysregulated kisspeptins in the brain. All of these things are dysregulated. And there's actually published data and once again, in menopausal women, that if you combine estradiol with a GLP-1 agonist, you know, so like Wagovi, um, Otesla, um, I mean, Ozempic, I always get those two mixed up. They always start with O's. Okay. <laughs> Ozempic, um, Otesla is for skin. Don't take that one. Um, so Ozempic, the semaglutides. So it works in synergy with with it, and it showed that without that extra dial added in the menopausal women, it didn't work well. And mm-hmm. um, I think that this is an important thing. If you go to your doctor, um, and this is not common knowledge among doctors, I'm just telling you, most of them don't even know what estrogen is. I mean, mm-hmm. it's so embarrassing when I say that. Oh, as, I think we all know that. <laughs> oh, okay, I didn't want to like, you know. Oh, the like, frustration you know, to find a good downer. doctor, I know. Yeah, like, You know, like you'd think OBGYNs and endocrinologists would know what estrogen is, what it does, but they they don't. Um, And so they don't know that you can't work this beautiful synergy of these hormones unless you have estradiol. But if you give estradiol, if if someone needs it, I always believe in monitoring and testing, so Mm -hmm. I know what it will actually do, you know? But if they need estradiol, it's one of those I call it the catch 22. When you when you give estradiol, it helps the body to actually heal so that you can then get the body to get metabolically healthy and then you can remove the estradiol. So I think of it as like training wheels on a bicycle that you know no one wants to wear training use twin, training wheels forever, you know, or bumpers when you go bowling, right? So hopefully you get good and then you take them away and then you can do it on your own. But a lot of times you can't get metabolically healthy in a state of estradiol deficiency. I deal with this, of course, all the time with my menopausal women. I mean, you can eat, you can meditate, you can exercise, and all those things are wonderful and essential, but it's not the same as replacing a hormone that's literally missing in your body that creates the whole energy system of the body. I mean, it's not like an optional hormone. It's like if you took out someone's thyroid gland, because they had a gigantic goiter, you wouldn't say now all you have to do is meditate and exercise and take, you know, these herbal green medicines and so on. You'd say, well, I'm going to give you thyroid hormone, and then Mm -hmm. do all that other good stuff, too. So that's how I feel that, you know, there's no replacement. Now, There's adjuncts, but there's still no replacement for estradiol. Even I'm a big fan of phytoestrogen foods, but they're not going to be the same as having functioning ovaries. We see this in menopause, and many of the conditions that are metabolically dysfunctional in women with PCOS are identical to what happens to women after menopause because they both have a commonality, a Mm -hmm. theme of low estradiol for totally different reasons. And of course, women with PCOS have the capability of making estradiol, menopausal women don't. And it's not like zero, like from a menopausal ovary, it's just reduced. So women with PCOS can heal and they can do better and we can modulate their gut microbiome. So everything's like multi-directional and, and help women. And you know, if a woman goes on one of these drugs, like, you know, the semaglutides, they need to go in with a plan. I Don't just go on it and think, my savior has arrived, because not true. Remember, in this study, which had a better outcome than what it would be, but, you know, most studies have better outcomes than in the real world use because these are motivated people who signed up for the study. Even then they had 40% dropout rate. Mm -hmm. But, you know, so study outcomes usually are not matched by real world outcomes. So it's Mm -hmm. really, that's an important takeaway. And even with the study, you still had, you know, not that great. It was still just a little over 50%, you know, of people had a weight loss of 10% at six months. I mean, so a remember out of 200 pounds, oh, almost half of them couldn't even lose a 20 pound, get a 20, 20 pound weight loss, mm-hmm. you know, and that doesn't mean that it, they sustained it, even the ones who did get 20 pound mm-hmm. weight loss. And there are other ways that we can help people to do that. I can tell you that just by lifestyle changes, by timed eating, by exercise, by meditation or other mind body practices, yeah. by removing toxic everything toxic people toxic food toxic lifestyle choices i mean toxic you know pollutants i mean we can do so much to lose that amount of weight and sustain it exactly it's style so Mm -hmm. um, and this is not a standalone so if anyone uses this drug and and i'm telling you we don't have the data because no one's done Mm -hmm. the data collection on pcos but it's going to be inferior to this it Mm -hmm. has be because a significant percentage will have estradiol deficiency. And, you know, this group had an average age here, it shows of um, 49. Okay. So these were not in large measure, like fully menopausal women. So they weren't completely estrogen deficient, I would bet. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know, but so the thing is that it's going to be, Harder to get though even those results in a group of women. Mm-hmm. In the OS, I mean, I'm just because they had the same problem with diabetics. Okay, because diabetics already have inflamed um, pancreases and their their beta cells are already dysfunctional. And the the glucagon like peptide ones work a lot on the beta cells in the pancreas. It's just it's not you're not going to get as good a result. Mm-hmm. So be prepared for that. But hopefully you'll be the you know, prove me wrong, please, please Mm -hmm. prove me wrong, or at least you be that end of one who has a stellar outcome, okay? But plan, what's your exit strategy with your doctor? So how are you going to get off? How are you going to stay on? If you're thinking of pregnancy, they're now telling you get off three months ahead. So what's what's going to happen in that three months that you're going to go off? You know, what are you going to do lifestyle wise? Because no drug should be a standalone and replace Mm -hmm. lifestyle. And do you have low estradiol? has it ever been looked at and um, you know what is your lh fsh by the way that's sort of a clue if you have really high lh and low fsh you have that huge ratio differential you know that's a big clue that you don't have enough estradiol why is that because lh triggers testosterone production in the ovary which by the way uh, okay.
0: another
1: another different skill set mm-hmm. so you have lh producing all that testosterone And then FSH is malfunctioning and not as much. And and FSH is critical for the action of aromatase, the enzyme that converts testosterone in the ovary, in the granulosa cells into estradiol. So the brain says, the brain, which is full of sensors says, I don't have enough estradiol. I don't have enough estradiol. So it tells the pituitary to make more LH so that, because the LH triggers the ovary to make more testosterone. All estradiol, everywhere in the body, of course, including the ovaries, is derived from the conversion of testosterone, 100%. There's like no other path. So testosterone turns into estradiol. But in women with PCOS, it doesn't do that well, in Mm -hmm. most cases. Mm -hmm. So the brain says more estradiol, please. And it does that by telling the ovary to make more testosterone. It's like a glitch in the assembly Mm -hmm. line. So Mm -hmm. you keep putting out more testosterone Mm -hmm. and the LH goes really high, but FSH, there's a problem with the FSH. Mm -hmm. There may be um, autoimmune related things. We don't even fully understand. And it it by the way it's related to the high levels of anti-mullerian hormone you know another talk for another day yeah exactly but, but the point is that that's a clue you know mm-hmm. that if you have that because many doctors they don't measure estradiol but they do measure which they should but they do measure lh and fsh i don't know what they think that why that's happening but that's why it's happening is because there's this glitch in the conversion of testosterone into estradiol. So, if you have a really high LH and a kind of lowish FSH, you probably are not capable your ovaries of making adequate amounts of estradiol, and you would probably benefit from having like an estradiol patch.
0: That's but, what I was going to ask: is how you like it to yeah, administer? Yeah, you can just get okay. like
1: a patch, like a .1 patch. By the way, remember I said that women with PCOS and women, you know, as a general group, or because of their estrogen. Fluctuations and changes and malfunction are more prone to eating disorders, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Eating disorders can be male, but they're way more prevalent in females, both under and over consumption mm-hmm. eating disorders. And they've actually had published articles showing binge eating disorder, which is so mm-hmm. prevalent in women with PCOS, can be successfully treated with an estradiol patch. Oh, that's fascinating. Because estradiol regulates all of the energy systems of the body Mm -hmm. because energy systems are essential for successful reproduction Mm -hmm. and survival. So these are all like really important things to know so that you can get the proper treatment. And mm-hmm. if you get GLP-1 agonists, if you go on like Wagovi and you're spending all that money and you have really low estradiol, you're not gonna get the results. I'm just telling there's published articles on that. Tell your doctor. There are published articles showing that when you give the two combined um, to obviously appropriate women, that you will get a better outcome. Mm-hmm. So, you know, those are important things to understand yeah. and doctor may not know, may not know that.
0: Yeah. And that's, it. as I introduce this podcast, that's why knowledge is power and we have to be our own advocates. And, and I so appreciate you, uh, Dr. Gersh, because you are just a wealth of knowledge. And I appreciate you sharing that knowledge with, with the PCOS Diva community. I feel like I got a two for one today. We, we not only talked about, um semaglutide and and whether that's right for you but we also got a great education at estradiol and and what that means <laughs> i know
1: well it's- you know that's this tricky thing about the body it's all interconnected so to understand one thing i mean i learned that you know you got to know the next thing in the list next thing next thing or else you know you end up really in a confused state and i want all of your listeners to understand so that they can make the informed decision and help their doctors I hate to, you know, it's a team think of it as a team that if you need to you help your doctor to understand you mm-hmm. as a US patient, that you're unique, and you have special needs we will say, you know, so don't don't
0: just take the drug and think that that's your magic bullet. Okay. Mm-hmm. And. I, I want you to tell, um, women how they can learn more about working with you. And, you know, you had talked about lifestyle changes. You have a, a plethora of ideas in your book, SOS, um, PCOS and, and I do it in my healing PCOS book as well, but, mm-hmm. um, how can women find more a- about your work?
1: Well, other than my books, I'm here like um, talking to you right now from mm-hmm. an exam room. I have a patient to go see. I'm a I'm still an old-fashioned doctor. I actually have a practice. I have an office with you know lots of lovely exam rooms and a waiting room where we try not to have you wait. And I also do um, you know telemedicine under you know the legal legal restrictions that exist, you know, to enable me to see people in different locations. And I love taking the one-on-one approach because every woman is unique, and I I treat I don't just have like an assembly line, you know. I treat every woman as the unique person she is. You know, PCOS is not the same in every woman. Nothing is the same in every person, and um, so I like to evaluate each person for their uniqueness and then create together a strategy, a therapeutic. Mm-hmm that's, uh, and I have a, what I consider, I call it my expanded therapeutic toolbox as an integrative doctor, I can access all the lifestyle approaches. We have a gym in my office, we have nutrition, we have modified, you know, for like biofeedback for stress and other mind-body practices. And so we have, you know, vascular ultrasounds and echocardiograms. So, you know, I try to cover most of the bases that women need within one place. So, you know, we have I have a bigger toolbox to use to access mm-hmm. therapeutic uh, modalities. So um, herbals, when appropriate, nutritional supplements, targeted supplements, all evidence-based, everything I do, I can back up with peer-reviewed published studies. And um, I'm very much into, we were talking before, mechanisms, like why is this working? What's this doing in the body? So I can, uh, you know, come up with my own synth- synthesized Version of what's going on in people, and I do have pharmaceuticals. I do procedures when necessary. So I'm I'm a regular practicing
0: doctor. Yeah, you're 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 a rare breed, honest, in a in a very good way. <laughs> it's well, hard to I'm find. Not,
1: I like you know. I, I still feel that you you still need to do exams. You still yeah. need to touch people and. Um, and see them in person, but also, you know, combine it with telemedicine Mm -hmm. because, you know, everybody it's not within five miles of me, but, um, and um, you know, I love to do speaking engagements, podcasts, health stomachs. I have a little Instagram live and I have a YouTube channel. So those um, can also be utilized for. Yeah.
0: and, And we will put all of that contact information in our show notes. And I'll ask you Dr. Gersh to send me that JAMA link. Um, and we will oh, that you, sure. and we will put that if you if you want to see that uh, study that that Dr. Gersh was referring to, that will be in the show notes as well. So thank you again for joining us. I think this might be like our fifth podcast together. I, I, I know it's, yeah, right? You know. so well, there, we never lack for things to discuss. I know, I know. And thank you all for taking the time to listen. and I look forward to being with you again very soon. Please take a minute to share it with a friend or family member so she can benefit from it too. And don't forget to sign up for my free weekly newsletter. Just enter your email at PCOSDiva.com to get instant access and make sure you never miss a future podcast. This is Amy Medling wishing you good health. Bye-bye.